On this episode of AV Week, we take a deep dive into the globalization of the AV industry. How can you as an integrator, a tech manager, or manufacturer, regardless of where you are in the world, service your customers better, regardless of where they are in the world? All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 414, recorded Friday, July 26, 2019, deep into global. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions, and by FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. We're going to do something a little bit different this week, uh, just a conversation with me and uh, my good friend and uh, one of my mentors, uh, Mr. Chris Miller from PSNI. Welcome, sir. Well, thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is quite an honor. Glad Absolutely. to be with you, Tim. Thank you, sir. Um, we, we were talking, and, and the, the story, we, we are going to use a story to kind of jump this off and... and our story comes to us from, from our friends over at Commercial Integrator and, and our buddy Craig McCormick. He writes about AV integrators and, and how they've responded to this, this push for, for globalization. And Craig interviews a, a number of folks uh, that have reached out and, and some of them have offices uh, beyond their own borders. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure I say this the right way because I'm trying to make this not a, a U.S.-centric conversation because it's not, right? right? Yeah, um, Exactly. But, yeah. but they have, have open physical offices beyond their own borders. Some of them haven't. Uh, actually, Jeff Stavener from, from ABI Systems, one of the folks he interviewed, said that he would have to open up six to 700 offices globally uh, to really become a global powerhouse. I'm not sure I 100% uh, understand that thinking. But McCormick kind of lays out the logistical challenges uh, of becoming a global AV dealer. Issues like uh, work visas and taxes and tariffs. And we've yeah about tariffs, at least for right now, uh, to kind of lay that out. Shipping, uh, product availability, kind of local custom. Yeah. And, uh, he interviewed Diversifieds, uh, Kevin Collins. And uh, Collins said, quote, unquote, global multinational companies realize they need to connect their employees effectively and efficiently, quote, unquote, uh, doing right. so by utilizing standards in offices and also standardizing in vendors. Right. Chris, you guys, two years ago, almost, a year and a half ago, yeah. uh, Chris and I, set out to become <clears throat> a global organization. Uh, you, you had been primarily North, North American-centric. You set out to say, okay, let's, let's take this model. Let's take this, this agreement, this community of, of dealers, regionalized dealers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so PSNI is. It's a, it's a, a organization of regions, uh, integrators within those regions, kind of making sure that, that everybody understands and, and helps each other out. Right now, you've taken a year and a half, and and with John Fuchs' help, and you and, and Tommy and Haley and all the the gang at, at PSNI, you've quickly and I'm going to say quickly because a year and a half is not that long time. Quickly ramped up, and you've got um, organizations and, and integrators really, really kind of throughout the world, almost uh, around the globe. So the first kind of question I, I want to delve dive into is. What are ways that dealers can effectively service a global clientele if they are not necessarily 
global, right? Back to, to Stabner's point of, about him and ABI Systems does not currently have uh, a, a non-US or a non-North American office. How do they service a global client if they don't maybe physically have offices or they don't have connections maybe in, in a different part of the world? Yeah, and, and by the way, it's a great article. Uh, as always, Craig Craig does his his homework and uh, um, once again put put a great a great uh, article out there. If I could, I'll back up just a little yeah. before that. Uh, you know, I, the interesting part of that article, and you just alluded to it, was it was a global article. Interestingly enough, from a U.S. perspective. Uh, it was not a global article from a global perspective. And while I understand that that's commercial integrators audience and there's nothing wrong with the perspective that he came up with, what we had to learn right away was not to use that perspective, that Mm. narrative through that lens, um, seems to give off the impression whether that was the intent or not, that all business generates out of the U S and it disperses equally on the on a hub and a spoke around the world and and the reality is you know 25 percent of the uh, gdp of the world is the united states yep. uh 16 is china and then the rest make up the difference um and if you look at what uh avixa recently said um at our uh, infocom breakfast and, and is now available um through their research is that the Asia Pac region is is coming close to exceeding the opportunity and the size of the revenue uh, over the over uh, North America. So as you can see, uh, the perspective of uh, everything kind of coming out from the U.S. and trying to find those service or integration partners around the world is is really um, a only half the story, maybe not a half. <laughs> the reality is um, what we found and had to learn was that there may be multinational companies and there are likely 10 to 15 companies around the world that of our almost 80 integrators and you know 175 offices around the world, when they put up a slide of who are their top 10, uh, fortune companies are they're they're similar they're very they're very similar um, it, it's not that surprising right I mean these are multi uh, uh, they're global organizations so many of these companies are already in those accounts a lot of it is driven by who's driving that particular initiative as Kevin referred to it depends on where that program is coming out of so that that initiative could be uh, a U.S.-based corporation uh, that is actually going to be doing an installation in India. That decision could be made in London. So it it may or may not be that it's always where that corporate headquarter is. Um, so when you talk about global, you have to talk about not just connectivity of what AVI, SPL, or Diversified, or Whitlock, or whatever was mentioned in there. But there are regional uh, 
excellent integrators all around the world that are needing partners in other parts of the world too, not necessarily the U.S. Um, it's been really interesting to see that many of our global partners are driving business back to the states to our members. So does that make sense? I mean, it's not all U.S. going out. Well, that's global the members are going coming here. Yeah. So talk about that for a second. I mean, one of the folks, I, I've gotten to know a number of your, of your oh, yeah. worldwide. Uh, Garish is, is one that I've gotten to know really well. Uh, right. Has, has two offices, one's in Dubai and one's in, in Mumbai and in India. Right. But talk about how that, you know, agreements and kind of organization, you know, things like your, your PSNI agreements work to, you know, not only push work around the world and, and you know, obviously some of this, you know, someone will come back here, some will, will go in different parts of the world, but also how things like certifications, whether it's your certifications, it's a VIXA certifications, it's whoever right. helps that happen because regardless of whether it's, it's Grish in, in Dubai or it's, um, you know, the folks uh, in the UK, uh, right. JP, you know, they're using the same standards. So the quality is the same and the client is serviced then regardless of where they are. So they're serviced at the same level. Right. Yeah. So, um, and you, you use two great examples, uh, whether it be uh, Jason that involved in the UK or whether it's Gersh in, uh, in Dubai and he has seven offices throughout uh, India. Um, those customers uh, typically overlap. They're being driven by different budgets or being driven by different initiatives. You could have multiple integrators around the world all in the same building calling on different customers within one account. We tend to talk about fortune accounts, but in really, in reality, we're talking about customers within those accounts. And no one, to my knowledge, has all of the contacts and customers within an organization. Uh, no one's doing all of a Coca-Cola uh, for example, it's, it, it would be impractical and very difficult to do. It's not offensive to any one integrator. It's just the reality of, of, of the size and scope of the works they, they do. So when you look at that, you know, they, everybody talks about standardization. You and I were talking as we, we talk frequently is it all starts with something much more simple but the baseline of everything is building a level of trust and a common belief that your customer satisfaction is my issue too. Your customer is my customer for that period of time. And when you look bad, I look bad. And as simple as that sounds, um, that's kind of a code of honor, if you will, that has to be put in place um, and then you can talk about standards and then you can talk about fat taxes and you can talk about culture and so many other things. But if you can't find that common ground, then it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Here's the, here's my personal experience is whether you are a very, very large AV integrator and you own different companies around the world, um, or if you're using integrators around the world, and by the way, there is no integrator today, to my knowledge, and I, I can be proven wrong every 30 seconds, um, that is 
capable of doing all of their work within their own walls. They have to use other companies to accomplish that around the world. Back to Jeff's point is you'd have to have four to 500 locations because you don't know where this work is going to go in what city, what part uh, of the world. It's just not something that would be, be practical. So trust is first, culture, and then getting those standards. But it's not easy to do whether you own the company or whether you're trying to align with uh, an alliance or a network. Talk about the, the importance of picking the, your partners then, because yeah. you made a, a good analogy or a good point here. Your customer is my customer, right? right. Uh, to do that, to be able to do that though, you have to have the utmost trust, and you said it, trust, yeah. in your partners, right? And, and we're going to pick on Garish and, and JP and, and Jason, uh, but and they can both email me later. Uh, but <laughs> And Will. Let's pick on them for a second, you know, because... Sure. Uh, they're, they're, they're not U.S. And again, I'm trying to make sure that this is not a, a U.S.-centric conversation here. Right. But to make sure that Garish is comfortable with Jason and his team, and Jason is comfortable with Garish and his team, there has to be a level of trust. Before those two ever met, and, and let's say that PSNI wasn't even in, in the, the equation here, how would those two go about making sure that they're comfortable with the other one, with the other group, with the other folks, to even start down the, the, the path of conversation to say, yeah, I'll, I, have, I have full confidence in sending you my clients. You know, probably the same way that you see uh, it happen every day in the States is that you can go to the uh, Avixa membership directory. <laughs> you can call a manufacturer like a Crestron or an Extron or someone who has a global footprint try to get a hold of their regional people and say, hey, I've got a project in so-and-so country or city. Who would you recommend that? And they always say, you know, I really shouldn't say this and pick sides, but here would be my three guys that I could tell you to call. You and I have had the same conversations. I shouldn't say this, but. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say that would be more typical than not that it would occur that way. But then you know, the level of risk just went way up. And it didn't always go, the risk didn't always go up because of the quality of the work. Sometimes the risk goes up because of the priority of the work. Mm. So I'm busy, I'll help you, but the A-team is real busy with our internal people. Um, and we'll get to it when we can. The second part of that answer is um, that relationship probably was a one-off. Maybe it matured. They had a single customer who said, you know, we've got multiple projects going on. We want to keep your project management and your engineering team, and we want your, your, your programming to be used in each of these conference rooms, collaboration space, whatever the case might be. So there might be something that's done that way, and they've negotiated a relationship. But usually on those one-offs, um, if there's not repeat business, there is no maturing of that relationship. And uh, there's not a lot of sharing of data. It's usually labor only. Um, not a lot of information is shared. And my customer is still my customer. And when you go in, you wear my jersey. Mm. Um, what we try to do is build that to where that level of trust is such that 
once that local is in there, that that customer gets what they deserve. And that is the very best from the partner they chose around the world. But they also get the very best of the closest partner um, who speaks their language, who understands their their, uh, currency, that understands their laws, and is there to support them and stay on in that service role, which is kind of where you started your question, um, going, going forward. But you, as an integrator, you tend not to want to give that service work to someone you don't trust because you tend to think I could lose that business long-term if that relationship is too strong and, or it's not those, that's not clearly defined as to what that relationship is, if that, if that makes sense. So the, what we found right away was when we started this, as you said, in early 2017, late 2016, was I was under the impression that throughout EMEA that they all knew each other, similar to we know each other state to state. One of the things they said is, we'd love to know your people in the states, but don't take this wrong. We just love to know people in, the, in these other countries right next to us um, because we have more work there to there. And that's why we refer to it to multi-country, uh, multi-location, because it, it, there's just a lot of work going on around the world that has nothing <laughs> to do with the states. Um, and that's good. That's exactly what we we set out to to do. Talk for a second. There, there a couple, uh, oh, two or three months ago, we were, we were talking about having a conversation with Luke Jordan uh, from from mm-hmm. Dallas Fort Worth, yeah. uh, uh, and he made the comment that that he wants to stay local, right? He, how do you help folks, regardless of where they are in the world? If they have really great trusted clients, but they don't want to service them or can't feel like they, they can't, and, and that maybe they have no desire to have you know, 400 offices, but they right. want to do the best by that client, what would your advice be to them to, you know, regardless of where that client's going, how do you, how do you assess out? How do you um, assess a new, a new partner? Well, it, you know, you know me. I typically don't answer the question. Um, I I answer three other ones, and eventually. I'll come back to. <laughs> I'll get back. <laughs> um, you know, this is this is one of the uh, the benefits of the larger companies. Is that yeah. um, one of the challenges of the smaller integrator around the world isn't that they don't have desire. Uh, local knowledge, um, quality, in many cases, highly trained, not everywhere, but the size, uh, the bandwidth they have, and the financial resources they have limit how much they can do. So to to the point that Craig made about the larger super integrator, the point is, to start doing these larger projects. And there's a a misconception that global projects means these are huge 10,000 room rollouts. That probably happens, it's not every day. 
Um, what we focus on more is country to country, helping out your very best customer, um, taking care of them whenever and wherever, country to country, city to city. That being the case, if someone gets one of these very, very large projects, it's going to be limited to those who have the, the financial capacity yeah. to take that on in addition to all of their regional or local business or in the case of the very large ones, th their book of business. Um, so what happens and has happened already is for those smaller integrators in our group, ha since having been a part of this, we're driving them opportunities in some parts of the world bigger than they probably have the bandwidth to do. Wow. Um, now that's making them reassess. And what, what tends to happen at that point is you have two people who, uh, you know, two, two different approaches to who's selling those who are s selling for exit strategies or uh, financial gain and those who see the opportunity to expand and grow their organization by having more um, bandwidth and financial wherewithal to do larger projects. So some that stay local, back to your point, are, are staying there because they've gated their own growth and they've gated what they want to accomplish with their customers. And if they want to go out and extend out for one, two, five jobs a year with someone outside of the country, then uh, the, the point there they have to do is they have to really evaluate the risk and, you know, look at is, is this going to significantly impact my relationship with the customer? Should I try to find someone that I can have my customer get in touch with if they don't, if, if the risk is high? Problem is, you think about the financial aspect of a project, depending on where it is. If the customer's not paying in 60, 90, 120 days, and now you've got product out there, now you've got other vendors and suppliers out there, and now you've got another partner out there. You're underwriting all of that until you get paid. Well, if you're a small local company, that's a risk that you may not want to take. And uh, the jurisdiction of any legal issues is going to be even more challenging because if something goes wrong at the uh, destination end, you may or may not have any choice for uh, getting paid. Yeah. So it's a high risk uh, deal. Most are looking at it like we did in the beginning is there's a defensive position and there's an offensive position. The defensive position is we have to have global connectivity and partners around the world that are highly vetted. And we'll talk about that um, in order to, to accomplish and take care of the current customers I have today. The offensive position is it's an opportunity within those customers to provide more services, global connectivity, manage services, and support around the world. Um, so there's both an offense and a defensive position on that. So how do you pick these people? Um, how does someone who's um, in a small organization find out? 
Most of them are going to a member directory, like I said, getting a hold of a manufacturer, trying to get a hold of somebody high up in their organization um, and see if they can't get some labor to help them do a deal or give them the deal and take a finder's fee, whatever the case may be, just to get that customer taken care of with the least amount of risk. In our case, um, we're doing something very unique. It's very costly. And that is when we select our members, they go through a highly vetted process. They go through applications. They're, a, they're evaluated by manufacturers. We understand their financial and payment histories. We understand where, um, in many cases, you mentioned John, in many, if not most of those cases, he will visit those facilities. It's amazing what they, what they, they share on their website is their facilities and capabilities versus what you walk into the door. It's all relative what they think is space is. Um, so we're looking at that, which tells us a lot. We have copies of their uh, design proposals. We see their CAD work. Um, we verify all their certifications with the manufacturers and with a, and a VIXA or whoever else it may, may be. Um, and then we look for referrals. We've got to have customer referrals. And, and you know, none of those, every one of those can be cheated except the site survey. Yeah. Um, but then you just have to go on the gut and the interviews and the process. And in many cases, these people are already working with each other. Um, and they're, 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 they're great to, uh, to be a reference, but, um, it's, it's a slow building trust relationship. This, this is, uh, this, there's no finish line that's in close distance. On, on this, it's an ongoing, evolving process. As we as we wrap wrap up here, what what would one piece of advice you give to any integrator, regardless of of where they are in the, in the world, as they're looking at their client list and, and going, well, this this company might be going expanding, or this might be, you know, or they they just got a call today, right, saying, right. hey, you know, uh, we're we're expanding uh, from this country to that country, and we want you to to help us out what would be your, your advice to a company as they're staring at the prospects of, of globalization and trying to, to service their customers the best? Couple of things. Um, first of all, from an internal integrator perspective, um, don't, I would not suggest that all salespeople of all accounts have free reign to get on the phone and start negotiating international deals. Um, I would I would suggest that you have one or maybe two people um, work out the internal compensation issues that go with with the sales related, and let them get a little more familiar with this this whole whole process. But and not just let people go off on on their own to uh, to to start putting this. Other thing is make sure if you go to that good customer, when you go down that list and you look at your top 10, um, you know, where, what's the defensive position? What's the offensive position on, on this? What's, and what's at risk in the relationship? What's the upside and the downside? And then look at that and make sure that the customer un ha has their, uh, expectations in line with reality 
This isn't something if they say, I've got 10 rooms and they're over in these three countries and I need this. You can't get, you can't get a quote back in the same amount of time. You can't get the accuracy because there's so many variables, as you mentioned, with fat taxes and other issues. You can't even get response that quick in many cases between different members uh, or integrators around the world. So helping the customer get their expectations in line with reality when they leave the country is as important as anything. People can say whatever they want. You've got too many hours, too many different cultures. People are very busy right now, thank goodness. And you will look bad to your customer in your response time and the inaccuracy of your quotes unless you tell them up front why this is different. Um, And um, be very careful. Um, Don't just agree to do it or suggest you can do it until you do your, your homework, regardless of the size of your company. I know no one wants to lose a good account, but um, be careful. There is a lot of, there, there's a lot of risk, but we're really focused today as, you know, Avixa has training and certification for a purpose. We have ours. It's very different. They have nothing to do with each other. AQAVs out there. There are other things out there that improve it. You know, I'm talking with someone the other day. I said, process transcends language. When you go across different languages and currencies, process always wins. And so that's the thing. Be very clear, scope of work, process, get it all done, get it to your customer. All right. That would be a good place to start, to stop. Mr. Chris Miller, thank you so much uh, from PSNI. How do people find you or PSNI, sir? Well, PSNI.org, if you want to go to our website, at PSNI underscore AV for Twitter. And, um, you know, we, we are always looking for uh, select integrators around the world. So we'd love to hear from uh, some of those integrators who think they might be a, a fit for our organization. All right, absolutely. Go to psni.org and check them out. Uh, for us, for Aviation, for me, uh, don't, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. While you're there, check out our supporters section. These are folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and all the others. And in about six weeks' times, uh, Cedia live from Denver. So all and more at aviation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.